0: the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.
1: Here in the 7
0: the Yankees are trailing 2-0. That is the key man. Hit high in the air to left field. Going to the corner, Yastrzemski. It's over the wall. It's a home run for Bucky Dent. Yankees get the lead three. Deep to left. Yastrzemski will not get it. It's a home run. A three-run home run for Bucky Dent. The Yankees now in it by a score of three to two. Well, the last guy on the ball club, you'd expect to hit a home run. Just hit one into the screen.
1: Bucky Dent. Hi there, everyone. I'm Bucky Dent. Welcome to this week's episode of Deep the Left with Bucky Dent. This is episode six. We have a really special show planned for you today as we are going to be chatting with former Yankee Andy Pettit. I'm really excited to be able to talk to this guy. He's one of my favorites and I'm just really looking forward to talking to him. So stick around for that. It's going to be a great conversation. Before we get there, though, with me on the line right now, Al Santissari, the editor-in-chief of Yankee Magazine. Hi, Al. Hey, Bucky. How are you? And we have also got Yankee Magazine deputy editor, John Schwartz. How's it going, Bucky? I'm doing great, guys. I'm looking forward to talking to Andy.
2: Yeah, for sure. Always one of the really good guys. Uh, Just a guy who, he was around for a long time when I was coming up, getting into clubhouses for the first time. So, I, I mean, I don't know how it is for you guys. I assume it's a lot the same, but... When I think now, what's he been retired? Six, seven years already. It's just crazy to me to think that.
1: He was one of the best I've seen, man. I tell you what, uh, uh, just a tremendous competitor on the mound. I mean, he knocked, knocked us out three times with, with Texas. And, uh, you know, he was just a guy that was serious, a, a guy who was a true competitor and nothing but class all the way. And uh, uh, I've always enjoyed being around him. And I'm just looking forward to talk to him.
2: One thing that always sticks out to me, too, is, you know, I'm a lefty, he's a lefty. And I, you know, I was playing high school ball in the late 90s. And man, every pitcher just wanted to be able to stare at you through the top of the glove like he does to the point that, I mean, if I'm thinking of facing a pitcher right now, I'm thinking of facing like a guy who's pretending to be independent, essentially, because it was so unique the way he just like would glare over the very top of that glove, just kind of outstretched just enough. And I mean, I'm seeing it right now in my head. I don't know.
1: I mean he was a guy that just performed outstanding in big games and he set a record for 19 wins in playoffs. Wow, that's that's doing something. So he was a, a tremendous competitor, a guy that uh carried himself with class and uh just a true guy that uh I've always admired just watching him as a Yankee on the other side. Uh now being able to talk to him on the phone, I'm looking forward to just really asking him some great questions.
3: I agree with you guys. You know, he's he's somebody who's, his competitive nature was so impressive uh, for me watching him from afar, you know, before I was with the Yankees and then for, you know, quite a few years with the Yankees, uh, seeing it a little bit more up close. Some of the favorite stories that I've written have been on him and they, you know, the reporting for both of those stories are, are really Thoughts that are, you know, etched in my memory forever, um, covering his last game in Houston um, and getting, you know, to sit with him the morning after that game for quite a while and hearing him just kind of reflect on how he knew it was the right time and, you know, wish that, you know, he didn't have to get older, but it was it was time to go. And uh, that was really special. And then a few years later, spending time with him out on his ranch was was equally as unforgettable. So he's He's one of my all-time favorites, and, and like you guys, I'm just so excited about today.
1: Well, let's get started. Let's get Andy on the phone, and let's roll. How you doing, buddy? How are you, man? Thanks for joining the show with us today, man. We got a, a lot of baseball to talk about. I mean, you had a just a tremendous career, and I know you're down on your ranch, and is that one of the spots that you love to go and just kick back and relax? I know. My wife and I, we do a lot of hunting, and one of the best things that we like to do is go sit in a deer stand where it's like peace and quiet. You know, what's, what's your relaxation like <laughs> when you go down to your ranch?
4: Yeah, that's, man, that's, that's what I do. I mean, I love it. I love it down here. I love I love hunting season. Um, you know, I love to deer hunt. We, my, all my family loves to bow hunt, so I love to sit in a bow stand, a deer stand. And, and you know, it's turkey season down here, so we've been doing a little turkey hunting. I spend a lot of time on my bulldozer trying to just work on my land and we had a,
1: a bulldozer. You you drive a bulldozer. Holy cow.
4: Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, they're not very difficult. And we, you know, there's constantly, I've got, you know, 5,200 acres down here. So it's just a lot of upkeep and, and, um, you know, there's just always a project I, I get on there and play around and knock brush down. And I've been trying to fix roads. Uh, we have had a couple of, over the last month, we've had a couple of really, really heavy uh, rainstorms and just mess they just mess my roads up when we get, we'll go two months without rain and then all of a sudden you'll get a week where it rains twice, five inches and it tears stuff up, tears the roads up and stuff like that. So I get on there and try to play around on it. I don't know what I'm doing half the time, but I've done it long enough now where I feel like I can accomplish some things. <laughs>
1: yeah. You played 18 seasons. You won five World Series, three-time All-Star. Uh, you you lead postseason with 19 wins and the only bone I got to pick with you is I got fired in 90 and you four guys came along a few years behind me. You could have saved my career, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I Because you, know, you guys we, were fabulous, man.
4: That's right. I, I wish we, I could have stuck around. We were, you know, obviously fortunate. Uh, obviously followed your career, and 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 especially once I got into the system and the great Yankees uh, that, that that played before me, and obviously was a big fan of Yankee history as I came. I went through the minor league system, so I would have loved to have played with a lot of you guys that came through and when y'all did.
1: Well, I tell you, we would have loved to play with a a lot of you guys, too, because you guys went on a run, the core four. Now, who, who named you guys the core four?
4: That's a good question i have i don't believe I know' the answer to that <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not real sure
1: <laughs> because that's a that I tell you what that's a that's a great name for you guys a core four and and when you guys all started together back when you're like nineteen years old and, and and you're in the minor leagues and did you did you ever have a vision to think that you guys would play all together you know two hall of famers and you know you'd win all those championships and and being some of the greatest teams that ever performed in, in Yankee history. I mean, did you ever have a wildest dream of that?
4: No, I mean I didn't, and I, I would I would I would imagine that you know the guys, you know the other three guys, and and anytime we talk about the core four, I always we throw Bernie in there because we feel like we're almost like a core five with Bernie, but he was you know came up right before uh but came through the system. But you know, when you're in the minor leagues, it's, you're, you're you're grinding so hard to get there. I was married in the minor leagues, a small you know child, and you're just trying to you're you're trying to figure out how to get there and and just grinding to do your job. And you don't really think like that. You don't look around and say, oh, look at these players you know, we're all, all going to get up there and we're going to do great things. Just because, especially with the Yankees at that time, Mr. Steinbrenner would trade you. Like, we, we, we were hoping, like, you don't get traded, you know, because you wanted to be a Yankee, <laughs> you know. And so we were kind of, you, you know, so we, we were the first kind of group, I, I really believe, that we kind of had, you know, Billy Connors, you know, our our pitching coaches that, you know, were higher up you know, we're telling, I think, you know, Mr. Steinbrenner, hey, let's hang on to some of these guys. I know uh, Tony Clollinger was a guy that, you know, always was pulling for me and and pushing me and and trying to get me up to the big leagues and and saying, hey, don't trade me. But every offseason when I was in the minor leagues, I mean, I was going to get traded for Chuck Finley one year. I was going to get, you know, traded for Jim Edmonds and this other guy this other year. I, I mean, just constantly, you know, each offseason, you're like, man, am I going to be a Yankee or am I going to be going somewhere else? And, you know, we didn't play. I didn't have a chance. You know, I met uh, Mariano in, in the Gulf Coast League and then I never really played with Mariano. We were always kind of staggered of where we were at playing. And so we never really got to play together a whole lot in the minor leagues. Me and Derek played in Greensboro, North Carolina together and then he was a little bit behind me as as he came up after that and then me and Georgie had the opportunity to play triple A together and it it was wasn't we weren't together for very long cuz Georgie I believe he was catching one of my games and he was trying to block home plate on a on a a base runner coming home and he broke his ankle and um I think missed, you know, maybe the rest of that season whenever I was in triple A. So it was kinda like we, we, we weren't all, you know, we weren't all together for like, you know, me and Derek and Georgie and Mo didn't play in in A ball together and then the next year go to double A together and then the next year go to Triple A, you know. So it was kinda hard to kind of envision us all getting up there around the same time and being able to get you know it done and getting that you know play obviously together the way we did and have the success that we had.
3: Andy I remember you reminiscing with me a couple years ago probably when I was out there with you talking about the first time you met you know each of those guys and I remember the story about you you meeting Derek Jeter was pretty funny. Can you share that with us?
4: Yeah I I think Derek you know Derek I think says it even funnier (laughs) or makes it sound funny or whatever but you know, we, he came into Greensboro. and You know, he's the number one, you know, pick for us. And, and you kind of, you know, looking at this guy and thinking, you know, what kind of player is this guy going to be and stuff like that. And you just kind of, you know, don't know what kind of guy he is, obviously, you know. And he walks up to me. He tells me, I believe he tells me, it's been so long now. and I got the worst mirror ever. But he tells me he looks like his uncle. I can't remember his uncle's name. But it says, oh, you look just like my uncle, such and such. And, and he said I, like, didn't even laugh, like a big league team he said, you know. And 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 I just, you know, that's just kind of, you know, I just kind of laugh about that. And I don't even really remember that story. You know, I think the kind of story that I like to tell is, is he got called up to A-ball. We were, you know, low A in Greensboro, North Carolina. He was – hot shot, you know, the number one pick, shortstop. And I was having a really, really good year in A-ball in Greensboro. And, you know, he comes up, and I believe one of his first games, he was playing shortstop, and – he made several errors behind me, you know? And I'm like, and I'm like, you know, you're like, all right, dude, let's go. This guy's the first round draft pick. I mean, come on, you know, you start like thinking, Is this guy, this guy can't even catch a ground ball, you know? But of course you see that. And then I literally think that he ended up hitting, he might've ended up hitting, I think like a big clutch home run to tie the game up or something like that late in the game. But, It was just, you know, it was just funny whenever you start reminiscing and thinking about stories like that and you start digging into, you know, what you kind of can remember, you know, way back then. He's always, Derek has just always been a great teammate, a a fun guy to be around and uh, just a guy that was real sure of himself and carried himself with class and And from the time that he was in A-ball to the time that we got done playing in the big leagues together, man, it was just like, you know, he's just a normal guy and and enjoys to have fun and a great teammate. So, you know, that's, I guess, my Derek Jeter story.
2: Andy, when you go back to the memories that you have, you know you're going back to all the way in the minor leagues. You know now you can go back to Yankee Stadium and your numbers are all on the wall in Monument Park. You know where Babe Ruth's number is and and things yeah. like that. You know Derek and Mo are Hall of Famers. I mean, yeah. is it hard to kind of reconcile the way that just time has passed, man?
4: <laughs> it's sad. Yeah, it is. It is hard. It is hard to to you know to really put that in words, just you blink your eyes and it's all over. And I guess the only way you can kind of relate to it is just with your kids. You know, you blink your eyes, your kids are grown. I mean, I'm a, I'm a grandpa now, my oldest son, you know, I've got a grandbaby that's going to turn two on Thursday. And it's just like, how, I mean, how did this happen? Like, how did this happen so fast? I mean, how did I get so old so fast, you know? So, it, it it's it's hard, it's very hard to just think about um how quickly time passes and and how blessed we were. And I and I think when, you know, you have such an enjoyable, you know, career and successful and of course there's hard times and there's things you go through, but I think they even go faster because I, I enjoyed my time in New York and playing baseball so much. Uh, I love the game. And so, you know, it was just really enjoyable for me.
1: Speaking of playing in New York, tell me about the first time that you got called up in 95 and and you joined a Yankee Yankee team. I I remember my first when I got traded over walking in the clubhouse. I mean, you know, you play all those years in the minor leagues, like you say, you struggle. and, And then all of a sudden, here you go, you get the call up. Tell me what you're feeling when you're walking in that Yankee clubhouse.
4: Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting, I'll just kind of give you a little bit of the story. You know, in 1994, I was in, in AAA, and I was having a good year, and that was the year that we went on strike. And so, you know, that's like, oh, the ultimate. Like, you think you're going to get called up, right? You got a chance to make it in 94, and, and it just, they, the team goes on strike, and so it doesn't happen. So we start spring training in 1995. We ended up starting it late. And so Buck Showalter is the manager that year, and we're in Fort Lauderdale. It was our last year in Fort Lauderdale, so I was, I was, you know, that was pretty cool to be able to, to be at spring training in Fort Lauderdale way back when, you know. And, and so I remember we kind of are winding down towards the end of it, and they haven't made an announcement yet on who's made the team and who hasn't. But we know that they're going to carry two extra pitchers because spring training, I believe, was only three or four weeks long. And they were carrying a couple of extra pitchers for the first month of the season because we had a short spring training. And so they, our traveling secretary makes the announcement hey, we need your vehicles uh, on the trailer in the morning to head up to New York, whoever's going in New York. And I'm like, well heck, nobody's told me nothing, you know, like how am I supposed to know if I'm supposed to put my vehicle on the trailer, you know? And so anyhow, so I get the just the courage, because I've got a a wife at at this time and a kid, and I'm like, Well heck, I mean, you know, I felt awkward, but I was like, should I go in there and talk to Buck and ask him, am am I on the team? I mean, am I gonna make you guys you know, make the club? He hasn't said nothing to me yet. So anyhow, so I walk into Buck's office and I, you know, tell Buck, I say, Hey Buck, I said, Man, you know, David Zinn was saying, you know, the, the trailer is going up to, to New York to transport the cars, tra- transport the cars. And I didn't know, should I put my truck on the on the transportation, you know, up there? And he kind of just looks at me and he's like, yeah, go ahead and put your truck on there. You know, And so anyhow, so I assumed I made it. I don't even think he told me then that I made it, but I assume I made it. I found out that I made it. And it, it was, I mean, we got up there. Uh, Bucky, and it was an off day, uh, I believe, right before opening day, and, and just to walk out there on the stadium, and you know, you spend those that those years prior in the minor leagues, and every stop that you're at in the minor leagues, during our minor league games, our big league club will be on the on the TV in the clubhouse. So when you walk up there to go use the restroom or get something to drink, and I'll tell you. When Jimmy Key pitched on the big league club, I happened to stay in the clubhouse a little bit longer when I'd go up to use the restroom or get something to drink when I was in the minors so I could watch him and see how he was getting guys out. But you sit there and you dream of, man, I want to be up there. I want to get up there and do that. I wonder if I can be successful like he's being successful, you know. And so it's just after seeing it for several years, especially in the minor leagues, because, Growing up, I'd, I'd never been to Yankee Stadium, and I wasn't a diehard Yankee fan, uh, you know. Growing up, but of course, once you get in the minors, you're like, this is what it's all about. And so it was just so it was just so beautiful. I, I mean, just the accomplishment of, of being able to to make it to the big leagues. Just there's not a whole lot of people that are able to do that in this world, and uh, just what a, you know, how blessed I felt to be able to do that. It was it was definitely gratifying for sure.
3: Bucky, a couple of years after a year after that, you had the I guess, the pleasure or lack of pleasure of coaching against Andy Pettit in 1996, Game 2 of the ALDS. What was so difficult and how did you coach your players with the rangers and kind of how to deal with andy pettit at his very best and of course his best was in the postseason.
1: oh yeah you had to bring that up and rub it in didn't you you know like come on (laughs) yeah we andy uh i I was with texas in 96 i was coaching Uh texas and we ran into you guys three times 96 98 99 we beat you in game one game two you started and we had a 4-1 lead four to one lead in the 7th or the 8th inning and we missed a double play and I don't know I, I think Jeter doubled or something you wind, we wound you wind up tying the game up and we went into the 12th inning and Dean Palmer threw a ball down the right field line yeah, oh we yeah lost. I remember that now yep yep and then then we didn't win another game it was like oh my god we got to play the Yankees again and we got to face this guy Pettit you guys were just on that run, and you had such a great team. You had great relievers. But I remember you pitching against us, you know, and you had such poise. You had such determination. And I remember a guy saying, you know, if if, if we don't get this guy early, we're not going to get him because he he just gets better as the game goes along. And, and your confidence and, and the way you carried yourself on the mound, and, and you beat us twice after that. You beat us uh, – in '98, I think you beat you pitched seven innings, beat us one to nothing, and then in '99 you pitched another seven innings. But uh, you were just, you know, really fun to watch, and and I love watching you your whole career. To tell you the truth, you know, and yeah, you guys, you guys got us three times, unbelievable. <laughs> well,
4: I'll tell you one thing. I know in '96 when I came through, and and maybe even '97. I came through Arlington through there. I had about 100 people in the stands. All my wife's family lives up there. My family traveled up from Houston. And obviously, I'm young in my career. And and my first start in Arlington, I went, I believe, two and two-thirds and gave up seven earned runs. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, you guys knocked me around like crazy. And then so the next year, I had to make another start there. And so I'm thinking in my mind, and in, in Arlington, I'm thinking in my mind, all right, uh, it can't get any worse than it did last year. Well, it did. I, I went, I went, <laughs> I went an inning and two thirds. I think I gave up ten runs. But I mean, what oh, a lineup! What, I mean, what yeah. a lineup you guys had. I mean, Palmero, I believe Gonzalez, Pudge, just uh, y'all, y'all had a murderer's row. And for a left-hander like you know, like me to try to go through the meat of some of those right-handed hitters, you guys had. I know y'all gave me fits. So if I had any successful starts in the postseason, I was thinking the good Lord above against the Texas Rangers. If I had a successful start against you guys, so that was good.
1: Well, you had a way of turning <laughs> it on in the playoffs, man. I tell you, you, you 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 could dial it up, man. And you were a big game pitcher, and uh, uh, you know, yeah, we we did have a good lineup, but for some reason, we just could not get by you guys in 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 that that three year span. And we we had a great lineup, but you guys, for some reason. You had that determination and that will to win. I mean you just turned it up a, another notch in, in the playoffs and and I know you did because you know your your track record and your you know your history of, of pitching big games, but uh, those are fun games and uh, I love watching you pitch. I love you know watching the way you went about your business on the mound and who who taught you that that concentration that way to you know like to Get through that and, and to really concentrate and bear down in big situations.
4: You know what? I don't really, I really can't point to anyone really teaching me that. I know it was just something that I kind of always was able to do. I feel like even in, you know, as a young player, young minor league player, I know once I got to double to A AA and triple A, that was something that they always talked to me about and the reason why they thought that I could be really successful when I got to the big leagues was that I could make big pitches. I remember Nardi Contreras, my AAA pitching coach, talking to me about that and the ability to relax under pressure and perform. And, and Bucky, you know as well as I do, you know, once you get to that level, so many guys are so good and they all have great talent. And it's the ability to be able to control your emotions and, and, and be able to execute and to focus. And so I think I just had, you know, have had so many opportunities to be in big situations, and of course, when you have that many opportunities, you're going to be successful in a lot of them, and I, I've failed in a lot of in a lot of them. But really, I just become I became really comfortable with being un unco- in uncomfortable situations out there, and I, I say all kind of things, but the things for me is it just the confidence that I have that you know that that I can be successful in those moments that I've done it in the past also I feel like that it comes also from just just my my background and my faith I believe you guys know I mean I'm a I'm a Christian man and and I just I feel like God gave me the ability to play baseball and he put me in baseball and not only to play baseball I don't think but just to build relationships with my teammates and and that but also it just gave me confidence to be able to perform and 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 so anyhow i mean those are the things that's that's how i felt like i was able to do what i did
1: i i tell you what you 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 just had an amazing way of just slowing the game down in in big moments but who in big moments like was one of the toughest hitters that you said oh my god i don't want this guy coming up in a situation you know who were who were some of those hitters and who was the guy that gave you the most trouble
4: yeah, so, I mean, early, immediately, early in my career, the immediate person that stands out is Edgar Martinez.
1: Well, he gave everybody <laughs> trouble.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, just a, what a great hitter. And, and, yes, he he's the guy that just immediately stands out. Manny Ramirez is another guy that immediately stands out as far as me that just, you know, just in big situations, I really got to the point where I didn't want to have anything to do with him. You know, you talk about your confidence and get shaken a little bit. Sometimes as a pitcher you gotta be smart, you know, and you gotta know what battle to pick and what battle not to pick. Those those are kind of two names that really jump out to me as far as some of the great hitters that I faced, you know, whenever I was playing that really that really gave me a lot of trouble and I felt like that were really good in in big situations.
1: Bucky, what about you? Who were the pitchers who were your nemesis? Oh, his his hero was one that I just was Nolan Ryan I mean he's he was the toughest meanest guy ever I mean I faced I mean I faced Bob Gibson in spring training but Nolan Ryan was in the American League and I'm telling you what he just he was an intimidating force on the mound and you know he didn't mind spinning your cap around you know and I remember the first time I ever faced him you know I I was like oh my god who's this Nolan Ryan you know and woof I found out real quick when he started throwing 100 miles an hour, but he was he was tough t- t- tough on me, baby. <laughs> you know? But uh, you know, you know, we you know, we got so much to talk about because you had so many great moments, but. In 2008, you started the last game in the old stadium. Now, you know, walking out on that mound, I mean, I played in the old stadium. I never got a chance to play in a new one. But when they started to tear that stadium down, I actually got tears in my eyes. So, I mean, for you to be able to pitch the last game ever in that stadium with all the history, when you're walking out there to pitch pitch that game, what's going through your head?
4: Oh, just so blessed. I mean, that's that's literally my thought going out there and making that start and just a little backdrop on that, my shoulder that last month of that season was giving me a lot of trouble. And I never, I had elbow problems my whole career. I mean, from 1996, pretty much till I was, I was I had my surgery uh, in 2004, my elbow gave me trouble. But in, in 2008, my shoulder started bothering me towards the end of that year and the Yankees came to me, and they knew I was having some trouble, and they told me they wanted me to start the last game at at Yankee Stadium, and uh, they wanted me to shut down for a few weeks so I could make that start, and so I think I I skipped a couple of starts so I'd be able to start that last game, and for me to be able to start that last game at Yankee Stadium and be able to win that game, I, I mean, I was in bad shape, and just so thankful that they wanted me to pitch that game. And I'm so thankful to God that I was able to be healthy enough to go out there. And I believe I just made it through five innings and it was a rough five innings to get through. But, you know, that's kind of just a little bit of a backdrop that maybe a lot of people don't even know about that. We kind of shut me down for, I think, a few weeks so I could literally make that last start.
2: You know, that's something I'm actually curious about that you guys both have some experience with. You guys both obviously played for the Yankees, left for a while and came back. Bucky, you as a manager, you know, Andy, you came back to play again. What's it like when you come back? What's it like when you've been somewhere else and suddenly you're back in the Bronx, suddenly you're back on that field again as a Yankee? You know, what? what's that sensation like?
1: Well, for me, there's nothing like it. You know, I, I grew up a Yankee fan, you know, all my life. I was a Yankee fan. Mantle was my hero. So to be able to get traded over there and, and be a part of that organization and – uh, not only play, but to be able to manage, you know, it was just the greatest feeling in the world, you know, to be able to be a part. Of that organization it's it's just special i mean the you know playing in the old stadium where Mantle and ruth and Gehrig and all those guys played and it was just a special feeling to put those pinstripes on and even now you know when i go back to old timers and go out there and you know play shortstop and look around and, and feel like andy says i i feel blessed god gave me the ability to you know to 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 fulfill my dream and uh uh it, it's just it, it's unbelievable and by by the way Andy you know now that you're retired we're looking for a left-handed pitcher for the old-timers game now come on let's go we, <laughs> need, we need you out there pal let's go come on
4: <laughs> oh yeah I you know I, I made it to one so far um you know they they uh I still have been running around my kids are still working their way up through high school and you know the 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 summer tournaments that you got to take them to and I'm coaching their teams and stuff like that so when it works out I'm I'm there
1: yeah because Hitchcock came back a few years ago and he was blowing gas I mean he was throwing like 100 miles an hour it seemed like you know we're all going (laughs) hey come on we're old timers now let us get it crying out loud come on but speaking about your kid talking about your kids I mean you had two boys that you know went on to play college ball right?
4: Yeah, yeah. my oldest was at Baylor and at Rice, and and four elbow surgeries later, he's uh, working in the real world now, and my second son was at the University of Houston, and um, he had elbow surgery his first year and his second year, so my boys have not had great success with their elbows. My second son is at the University of Houston, and their season got canceled this year, and and he's looking to—he'll be graduating. It looks like in May, so we'll see what happens with him and where, where you know, what he's going to continue to do. And and then I have a uh, freshman in high school that's coming up, and I've got a daughter that's a freshman at Dallas Baptist playing volleyball. So I got my hands full. I got a lot going on. And it's fun. I mean, we're we're running around and traveling around. So it's uh, it's it, it's been good.
1: After going to baseball tournaments and sitting in the hot sun, going to watch volleyball is the best thing in the world. (laughs) I
4: love it. I love it. Yeah, you got that right. Yep. Those gyms are nice and AC. (laughs)
1: Yes, they are. Boy, I tell you what, it's 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 fun, man. And it's fun to watch, you know, watch your kids play and and grow up and, uh, you know, you you just hate to see them get hurt and, you know, shorten their careers and stuff like that. But uh, it's so much fun to to watch them and and watch them, you know, play Little League baseball and and, and advance their career. But, uh, you know, you played in so many great games and they got to be a part of that, you know, see your career playing all those World Series I, I mean you played in five five World Series man with all the you know with, with some great great players talk about the difference in some of those teams your ninety six team you know and, and all the difference in, in the other team and the characters of of guys that you played with because you know you always hear the stories of the guys that I played with you know the rivers because you've been around him and you know and Reggie and guys like that who are the guys that were like the fun guys that, that kept it loose for you guys?
4: Well, you know, late in my career, uh, obviously I would say Nick Swisher was just one guy that, you know, just immediately stands out when you're thinking about keeping you on your toes, keeping you entertained, you know? Swish was was there for us in 09. And, you know, you talk about the championship teams and, and, you know, all of them, the first four championships that we won, I feel like we're all kind of, you know, all real close there together, and we kind of, I felt like kind of had a, 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 you know, a group of guys that, you know, were in their prime, and we were all hungry, and we obviously were very successful to win the, the championships that we did in such a a, a tight, uh, almost just like a decade there, and just with Joe Torrey at the helm, kind of as our leader and, and our manager, just you know we just had a word of kind of like that we lived by it was just kind of like grind you know grind out every single day and i feel like our team kind of took on that whole persona you know just of we're going to we're going to be grinders and play every single day like it's the last game of the year and when i talk about our teams i have to talk about Obviously, we had great staffs and great pitching staffs, but I really talk about our our position players, and for the most part, the the backbone of that, and and it was led by Derek through the times and, and George Posada. And the reason why I say that about position players is because these guys have to take the field every day. I've said it over and over. It was extremely easy for me to be ready and ready to fire it up and to go every fifth day. I pitched once every fifth day. And I mean, I was chomping at the bit to get to the mound, you know, and, but these guys played every single day and the intensity and the grind that they brought to the field every single day was just amazing to watch because, you know, they had to come in and they had to be tired and they had to be exhausted on certain days and they would get, you know, you would think that they would dog it a couple of days or give at bats away here or there, but you just never saw those guys do that. And so I mean, those teams, we just had great leadership and guys that just kind of led by example and were grinders. And then, of course, you know, we go however many years it is without a championship. I guess we won in 2000, yes. And so, you know, we go nine years, I believe, eight years without a championship. So to have that stretch and go that long without winning one and then obviously we bring in to share we bring in AJ Burnett we bring in CC Sabathia to start off our new stadium and kind of a new chapter in the Yankees history there bring them in and you know just everything was good. what a magical year we had in 09 to be able to to pull it all off again and obviously just a great great talented talented group of of you know group a team there and uh, we, we would have been very
3: upset if we wouldn't have been able to pull one off that year for sure. Andy you know I got the the opportunity to cover a lot of those games especially in 2009. I have great memories of watching you pitch and the clincher and the ALDS in 09 and the ALCS and the World Series but you know I got to say one of the, the most enjoyable games I've ever seen you pitch maybe the most enjoyable was your final game in 2013 in your hometown in Houston and I think part of what was so great about that and really just epic if you will is you know the fact that you went the whole game you pitched nine innings and you know I know I I interviewed you the next morning and I I remember things you said in that interview I'll never forget in terms of you know you lamented about just you know you wish you didn't have to get older but you were talking to me about things that were going through your mind during the course of that game, almost as you were kind of reflecting on your whole life and your certainly your life in baseball. But can you take us back to that special night? I know you're you had so many family members there. And what were you thinking as you were grinding through that nine innings?
4: Yeah, I mean, just again, when I look back at it, I'm just I just I'm so thankful and and again I just can't I can't say it enough. I just felt like what a blessing it was for me to be able to do that in front of my hometown and of course I was pitching that game unfortunately because we didn't make the playoffs. And I remember, you know, Joe Girardi coming to me and saying, "Hey, my had I'd already made my last start at Yankee Stadium and, you know, basically I was set up to start game 2 of the playoffs if we made it. And he gave me the option. The Yankees said, do you want to, you know, do you want to pitch your last game at home in Houston or would you rather finish it there in in New York? And so, you know, you want to kind of go out with a win. And, you know, and part of me was like, I I wanted to finish out my last game in in New York. But then it just worked out where we didn't make the playoffs. and, and, And I was like, well, you know what, I would love to try to, you know, I'd love to win my last game of the year. And what an opportunity, all my family, my parents, all my friends could maybe see my last start. And we decided to start that last game. And I I just can't even explain it because I think it had been seven or years since I had thrown a complete game. And just my teammates, it was almost like they kind of just carried me through the game. I kid you not. My pitching coach, Larry Rothschild, I mean, was coming up underneath was like my biggest cheerleader. He wanted to see me get through it. I kind of strained my growing in the seventh inning and, and I, they, you know, my trainer had taped me up and I'm like, I'm not getting through this game, you know? <laughs> and, and so anyhow, it's just like, you know, you get through that game and it's like, this is a miracle. I literally felt like it was a miracle from God, you know, I, I really did. And then to be able to be at, in in Houston at a visiting ballpark and I think the whole crowd started chanting my name and I, I mean I felt like I was pitching in Yankee Stadium it was it was just very it was very surreal and I've said this before I pitched and I've done so many great things and had the opportunity to be around so many great games and so blessed I mean two of my favorite things that have ever happened in my career will be in 2013, whenever I was able to pitch that last game and to be able to throw a complete game just on a personal level. And then when me and Derek went out to take Mariano out of the game at Yankee Stadium, his final game, those are going to be two of the greatest moments of my career. And they happened the last month of my baseball career. That's pretty amazing to think about.
1: And now they go out and bring in a guy named Garrett Cold who you are his idol and he's like the last piece of the puzzle they need a big time starter and so they they say hey Andy come come with us and and let's let's talk to Garrett Cole about coming to New York tell us a little bit about you know that that night at the dinner and and what you talked to Garrett about because you played in New York you played in Houston he played in Houston but he hasn't played in New York yet so i'm sure that he had a lot of questions about playing in new york because it takes a certain mentality to play in new york i've said it all along you know i think you got to have alligator skin to play in new york because of the press the pressure and now you know he's the guy like the last piece of the puzzle that's coming in that's supposed to get him over the hump you know what what kind of advice did you give him
4: yeah i mean you know look I, i was there uh as a as a player obviously and then on a personal level to be able to give him you know He was, I'm sure, you know, a lot of concerns about family, what that situation looks like. I know him and his wife are expecting a child, and they're going to be raising their family now in New York, you know? And so he had a lot of great, great questions to ask. But, you know, the biggest thing that I was really just trying to push was, hey, I I know what kind of competitor you are. I've seen you compete, you know, at, at a high level. And and really the biggest thing was, are you wanting to try to go win championships? And if you're interested in winning championships, the New York Yankees is the spot for you because that's what we're we're about. And it was obvious that that is his goal. That's what he wants to do. And he's got a unique ability at as young of an age as as he does. He's very meticulous in what he's doing. He's got a purpose to everything that he does. I've been very impressed Obviously, when I got to meet him, to hear him talk, and then after our meeting, we had a little bit of time to spend together—15 or 20 minutes just by ourselves, just me and him talking. But uh, to see him work uh, in spring training, whenever I was able to go down there, and the way he works, uh, I—he's I, he, gonna—he's gonna be special. I believe that he's got an edge to him that I, I didn't think he had, and and I just really, I really. I think it's going to be good. I think his personality is going to be, do extremely well in New York. I think there'll be an adjustment period. There always is for everyone, no matter who you are. Uh, Roger Clemens, I think, is one of the greatest pitchers that I've ever been around or seen, you know, and and there was a little bit of an adjustment period for him when he came to New York. So I think everybody kind of is a little bit, if you haven't grown up in it, it's a little bit of an adjustment period.
1: When you go to spring training, do you know the younger pitchers? You know, come over and and talk to you because I remember when I joined the Yankees. You know, we had Yogi Berra and Elston Howard and and guys like that, and it was just be it was just fun to be able to go and talk to them about you know the history of the Yankees and stuff like that. Do do the young players seek your advice on on certain things in spring training?
4: They do. And, and you know, I'm, I've been, again, I've been so blessed since I've retired just to, to have continued to be around the team. Um, you know, even when Joe was managing me and Joe Girardi, close friends, and, and he always kept me extremely involved. And so I have all those guys. I've kind of seen them come up through the minor leagues and I've got great relationships with a lot of those players players and a lot of those guys so yes I mean and then of course working for the Yankees last year spending time going around traveling to the minor leagues and spending time with our pitchers has kind of helped in that also so I I try to stay in touch with a lot of the guys spend a lot of time you know with them and enjoy being around them and whenever you feel like they're not asking questions anymore or you feel like that you're you're not really being able to lend a hand as far as even if it's just somebody to listen to and talk to if guys have got some stuff going on you know I probably won't be going around there very much anymore just cuz you know you want to feel like that you're you're contributing and helping out when you when you get down there you know
1: absolutely you know and uh yeah have you ever thought about maybe coming out of retirement and and being a coach in the in the major leagues if they ask you to or you know being a part of that you ever had any aspirations of really being a big league coach pitching coach
4: I just don't think that I still, you know, that's something that I I would be interested in just because
1: my kids,
4: you know, I I still have a a son that's a freshman in high school. And I still, am, you know, you know, I want to see my daughter, you know, you know, play volleyball and do her stuff. And so, you know, you never know, you never know what will happen. But just as far as where the The games going now, especially as far with the analytics, I think the games might be way past me as far as my smart my smarts to be able to figure (laughs) figure that stuff out.
1: uh, Well, it to pass me by too, Andy. I'll tell you what.
4: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I enjoy the 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 commitment level is not stressful, you know, and and it gives me a chance, you know, what I've got going on and. And uh, I, I think right now is really I'm just kind of in my sweet spot right now. I don't know what a few years from now will hold if I'll change my mind on that. You know, I mean, you just kind of I, – I didn't think I would ever enjoy coaching, you know, but, I mean, I'm coaching my, my – I coach high school baseball. I've been doing that since I've been retired and – I've done it when my kid was there, and I have did it for three years when my kid wasn't on the team. And I, I think I enjoyed it more coaching when my son is not on the team, you know. So I, I do enjoy coaching. I enjoy, you know, sharing my, you know, experiences with guys and stuff like that. I, I enjoy building relationships with players and, and trying to help them through things. And so, you know, you never know. I I, I never know what I'll do. But, you know, I I know at the high school level right now, I really enjoy coaching. Obviously, it's a laid back commitment also. And I'll leave and go do my Yankee stuff. And I can still do that. But uh, I, I enjoy being around the kids. That's for sure.
1: Oh, you're like you're like Gator. Come on, you know I just talked to Gator about a week ago, and he he's out riding his tractor. You know, and I call him, sometimes he he won't get off that tractor. We're lucky we got you off that bulldozer today, right? Yeah, yeah. I just
4: well, I, limbing, uh, I came in from limbing up trees. Like I said, we had this storm come through, and it, I, I got I got trees down all over my ranch. that I've been trying to chop up firewood, so.
3: <laughs> i got one more question about your ranch you know uh, i we, we're celebrating the 40th anniversary of yankees magazine and you know one of my favorite stories that that i ever wrote was you know about the day that i spent at your ranch <laughs> yeah, there yeah. except for when you got me a little <laughs> nauseous when you were cleaning that one deer. that wasn't one of the best moments no ranch, it's not for the of- no, no I, I told you i wasn't faint of heart and then you <laughs> kind of proved me wrong i guess i still remember you talking and thinking i was still standing next to you but i had walked outside uh, yeah. at that point. But one of the things you spoke about was, you know, some of the guys you wanted to bring out to the ranch, CC Sabathia, yeah. I know how close you are with him. Have any of those guys taken you up on your offer and come out he, yet? He hasn't. You know,
4: we continue to talk about it and say, hey, one day I got to get out there, you know. But uh, he, he, he hasn't. He had not come out yet. There's no excuses now. He's retired, and we got. I got to figure out a way to get him down here and get him into the deer hunt. He keeps telling me he wants to come down here and deer hunt. So we'll we'll see.
3: Well, that's great. When he when he gets out there, <laughs> make sure you clean a, a couple deer in front of him and let me know what his reaction. <laughs> well, I don't know. He...
1: What about Jeter and Posada? Have you got them down there yet? I, I would no, hate to see Posada with a gun. The, come on. I don't on.
4: think they're hunting. No, I don't think those boys are hunting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Andy, I, I tell you what, I I just want you to know how honored I am to have you on this show today. And, and you're a class guy. And you know, you just were a big time pitcher. And you're a model of, of what it takes to be a professional and, and to be a Yankee. And I tell you what, you wore those pinstripes really really well and i just you know i i look forward to talking hunting with you at old timers one day when you come because i i love to hunt myself and so does my wife but i can't get her to pull the trigger
4: <laughs> well thank y'all so much for having me on bucky i i enjoyed it uh guys you guys stay safe with all this madness and craziness that's out there
1: thank you man god bless you buddy Wow. What a great conversation, guys. That, that was no surprise. I, I don't think to any of us because he's such a class guy and I just love the stories and, and the story about Jeter. Oh my God. I, I was wondering, you know, when those guys first met and, uh, just hearing them talk about that and, and also about, you know, when they get back together. Like for me, when I go to Old Timers Day and I see, you know, all the guys that I played with, you know, for them to, to get back together, what a, what, what great memories that is.
3: I agree. That, that was always one of my favorite stories, and I've heard him tell it a couple times, and it never gets old. Derek has got such a dry sense of humor, and I love seeing all those guys together because I, I know how much Derek messes with those guys and teases them. And it's kind of funny that you know all those years ago, before they were famous and before they you know really barely got to even know each other, he was already at his best, I guess, in terms of his antics.
2: It's weird though, you know, Bucky. Maybe you can help uh, me understand this a little bit more, because you retired and went into coaching. He seems to have retired to like a five hundred fifty acre ranch or something like that. I don't know what, what <laughs> is, what's the difference there.
1: Well, the difference is that you know, I I kind of coached my whole career. I mean, I had a baseball school that I ran for 30 something years. And I remember my conversation with uh, Dick Hauser when I was playing for him in Kansas City in 84. And we started talking. I told him I was interested in, in going into managing. And he kind of pulled me to the side and said, hey, you know, I think this is a good time. I think you need to do it the right way and start in the minor leagues and work your way up and and, and work You know, learn how to deal with the press, learn how to deal with the players. And there's just a lot of things to learn. And I thought it was interesting. But to tell you the truth, he's got boys, you know, that were in college and he wanted to be around them. And, you know, I had kids later on in my career that were in college. And that's one of the reasons that I retired. But that's probably the difference as far as, you know, wanting to coach and uh, and the difference in when I started coaching in my career.
2: It really is so fun for me to, you know, listen to him, though. One one of the understated, perhaps, things about Pettit's career is just how dominant he was, and yet often how overshadowed he was, whether it was Clemens or, or someone like that. Obviously, even in his last year, it was kind of like a magic trick he pulled. Like, I don't want to deal with any of this. Everyone go look at Mariana Rivera there, who's retiring. Uh, pay no attention to me. You know, and obviously, you could say like, oh, that's so unfortunate. What a slight to the guy. But there's no question. That's what he wanted. He enjoyed that. And he never was the, the center of attention. He never was the spotlight in some ways. So it's fun now to be able to look back and realize hear him as a storyteller hear him as a guy you know with these incredible memories of time in the game and uh, you know you think about how many other guys are probably that same way you know there are guys who love the spotlight and there are guys who just don't and you always kind of knew that pettit was a
3: guy who wanted to be home on his ranch a little bit i think that was what you know made those teams special and those teams obviously were special enough to uh you know have won multiple championships but i think you know, having guys like Andy Pettit, having guys like Bernie Williams, having guys like, you know, even, even some of the, the lesser stars, uh, Scott Brocious and, and people like that on the team that made really major contributions, but there was just no ego that ever got in the way of another player or never got, you know, in the way of the team success, probably had a big part to do with why they won so many championships.
2: And now you make a great point that I I love that when he was talking about his teammates and and answering the questions that we had about the core four stuff, how quick he was to point out Bernie. I've always felt that Bernie has gotten shortchanged by the fact that five doesn't rhyme with core somehow. Mm -hmm. And, And so you remember, obviously, all these guys. And yeah, I understand that Bernie wasn't there in 2009, but I feel like it almost there's a little bit of revisionist history about the late '90s dynasty that we kind of leave Bernie out sometimes, and he came in there real quick when we started talking about that stuff, and he's like, "Yeah, but you can't leave out Bernie." And I thought that was
3: a, a notable thing. I love that, and I and I I've written a lot about Bernie as I know you have as well, John. And um, you know, Bucky, that's actually a, a question I would love to ask you as somebody who was a coach on the other side and had to face those teams. But statistically, when you look at those great dynasties, and you look at their offensive production, you know, Bernie Williams was the cleanup hitter on a team that won four championships. Bernie Williams, you know, when you add up his batting average, RBIs, home run production, and by the way, he was a center fielder, was really the most productive hitter during that whole time. I mean, in a lot of ways, he was the best hitter on the last dynasty that baseball has ever seen He's not getting a lot of love in terms of Hall of Fame votes. And I'm not, you know, trying to to make this a political thing in terms of whether he should be in the Hall of Fame or not. And it's certainly, when you look at Derek Jeter's career, you know, there's only five men in the history of baseball who collected more hits. So it's there's no comparison there, and I'm certainly not trying to make one. But for all intent and purposes, Bernie Williams was, if not the best hitter in that team during their dynasty. He was one or you know, one or two on the list. What do you think about that, Bucky?
1: Well, Bernie started with me. I had him in 89 and, uh, in <laughs> AAA before I got called up, you know, but he was, a, you know, a, a talented young player, but he was young back then. And a few years later when I'm coaching on the other side, now I see him blossom into this guy that just turned into a champion player. I mean, he was a big clutch hitter. I mean, he made plays, uh, he was a guy that, you know, kind of glided in the outfield to the ball also as a center fielder. But, you know, it was really good for me to see a kid that played for me that blossom into be such a great player on all those championship teams. It was just, you know, fun to watch him.
2: For sure. Al, you mentioned Hall of Fame. Obviously, you know, some of the big news and and this isn't a surprise, but, you know, some of the big news of late has been that the Hall of Fame induction for for Jeter will be pushed back a year. We all saw it coming. It's probably the right move, especially when you consider how many people are expected to be there. I guess it gives him a little bit more time uh, to <laughs> to write the speech or whatever, but it's a bummer. You were there last year, Al, and you know what that's like and how meaningful it is as a piece of the summer. And it's just, look, it's not a catastrophe. People will he'll get inducted eventually. And, you know, it's just, it, it is just a bummer that's, that that's a huge part of the summer that the Little League World Series, all these things. It's just, you know, another way of pointing out just how much we're losing this year.
3: I agree um I'll, I'll tell you a friend of mine and I had a, a conversation about this and sarcastically my friend made a you know a funny joke and like god this is this is really sad because jeters really had a hard life to begin with you know and now <laughs> this and obviously although that's not the case, I do feel bad in one respect for him for his family and for all the devout Derek Jeter fans and Yankees fans, which in, in a way is kind of one in the same, who get who unfortunately have to miss out on it. I feel bad for myself, candidly, because I was really excited about going up there for his tour. I was really excited about going up there for the ceremony, just like I did last year with Mariana Rivera, and I've done a bunch of other trips up there, and it, and it truly has become part of my summer, and I love it. I mean, I, I can't tell you how much I love those trips. With all of that being said, I was so happy that it was delayed until next year as opposed to them trying to do some type of a hybrid between a virtual event and a limited crowd type of event where so many, you know, thousands of people who deserve to see Derek Jeter go in, um, who followed him his whole career or maybe only followed him his last year or whatever it may be, would not have the opportunity to go. I, I would hate to have seen that i would hate to have seen him get inducted with no hall of famers sitting behind him up on the big stage i would i just would have hated to see any of that and it's nice to watch sporting events on tv and we're gonna have to get really used to it but taking you know so much of the experience away from him from his family from his fans from the other hall of famers you know from the andy pettits of the world and the guys who went to battle with him all those years I think that really would have been a travesty. So I was rooting really hard and calling my, you know, my my friend who's the, the PR guy there probably way too many times, you know, for information. But I I was rooting really hard for it to be postponed.
1: I totally agree. I mean, I I, I don't think that uh, you want to take away one ounce of what he deserves as far as, you know, being inducted to the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's worked his whole life, you know, and uh, performed at a, a tremendous level. He was a captain. He was the, you know, the leader of the Yankees for, for so many years. You, you, don't, you don't want to take anything away from him being, uh, being inducted into the Hall of Fame and, and to be able to stand up there and with everybody looking at him and cheering him on and just giving him every bit of ounce of glory that he deserves.
2: You guys are right. And look, you know, it's just one more thing that, you know, we can look forward to now and know that, you know, the world, it, it, it is going to come back. Everything, you know, there, there will come a time when we're all getting together. Bucky, Al, I know Uh, I'd really like to be in a room with you guys and record this in person again. That was really fun when we got to do that for the first episode of this. We had big plans. We still have big plans. I can't wait to get back to it. But hey, guys, that's uh number six in the books. And I I, I think it's good. I think we did. I think we're doing good so far.
1: <laughs> I think with the with the guys that we've had the last three three or four weeks, I mean it's it's been a lot of fun, and, and I'm looking forward to talking to some more baseball with some more great guys, and hopefully some more Hall of Famers, and and hearing great stories uh, about about their careers. I
2: couldn't say it better. Make sure you stick with us. Go
1: to wherever you get
2: podcasts or yankees.com slash podcast. Please subscribe to this Deep to left with Bucky Dent. Of course, we also ask you to please subscribe to the Yankees Magazine podcast. Like, rate, review us, anything you can do like that. It really helps us. And also make sure to write to us, podcast at yankees.com. We want to know what you think. We want to hear what players you want us to talk to. Maybe you have a question for Bucky that he can answer. We'd love to hear what you have to say. So, again, that's podcast at yankees.com. In the meantime, if you want to follow the stories that we're putting online for Yankees Magazine, go to yankees.com slash magazine. We're putting up some news stories that we've been writing. We're also opening our vault and finding some stories from the recent past that haven't been online yet, so you'll want to check that out for sure. We just put up a great story last week about you know the way Lou Garrett became a Yankee, and I, I look, I've been around this team for a long time, and I was fascinated to read it, so I'm sure you will be too. You can read those stories at yankees.com slash magazine, or you can go to yankees.com slash publications to subscribe guys like you said six in the books let's uh let's keep rolling can't wait to do this again in two weeks can't
3: wait thank you
2: can't wait be well be safe everyone we'll talk to y'all soon have a good one have a
1: good one bye-bye
3: hi this is tyler wade if you like what you're hearing why don't you rate and review us and while you're at it tell your friends to subscribe thanks so much and go yankees